Heavenly Father, we're thankful for um, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather together as your church to not just be a bunch of individuals in the room, but to be a family, to be a congregation bought by your blood. Lord, we are made um, we are made new by what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, this morning, um, we pray that you would be that you would be with us, that you would be giving us a sense of your presence among us. And Lord, we ask that you would be making yourself known as Pastor Cameron, uh, seeks to give the message that you have laid upon his heart. I ask that you would uh, fill him with the words that you would ask him, that you want him to share, and that you would give us a spirit of receptivity to hear your words and to know uh, what it is that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would see you active in our lives today in a way that we haven't seen before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Good morning, Conduit. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Last week, we spent some time uh, talking about what uh, kind of the North Star of ministry at Conduit. Pastor Luke mentioned it uh, and talked about it a couple times today, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more today, uh, which is uh, our goal and our hope as a community is for each and every one of us to grow in our, um, in the term we use or the the word that's used a lot is our relationship with Jesus. And sometimes that can be a little bit confusing about what that means, right? What, what, What do you mean a relationship with Jesus if we're not familiar with that? But what I, what I, what I believe, what we believe is that when, when we get close to Jesus and when we enter into the presence of Jesus and when we are in close proximity to Jesus, that Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus by faith in us begins to transform our lives. Or at least as we are surrendering ourselves to him, right, we are and can be transformed. There certainly is, we certainly do have opportunity and freedom to be in the presence of Jesus, as many were in his ministry, to be in the presence of of Jesus and to reject his ministry to transform us. To To say, Jesus, yeah, I want to be close to you in physical proximity, but I have no desire for you to transform me from the root of who I am inwardly so that the fruit of my life is bearing witness to the fact that you have worked in me and are working in me. This is one of the ways that we talk about, um, about transformation. And today, I, at the end of service last week, if you were here, I encourage you to read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. We are going to get to that um, this morning. Uh, because what we shared last week at the end is that it is impossible for us to experience experience transformation from the roots of our lives out into the fruit of our lives if we are living a disconnected life from Jesus. And the term that Jesus uses in John chapter 15 um, is 
for us as proverbial branches in the world to abide or remain connected to him who is the true vine and true source of life. So that if we try as branches to grow and produce fruit out in our lives, but we are unconnected or disconnected or cut off from the vine or the source of life that is Jesus Christ himself, we should not be we should not be confused. We should not be, we should not be wondering why our lives are not producing fruit or why our lives are being perennially untransformed when we are not abiding in relationship with Jesus. It's a question I get as a pastor probably more than any other else or, or and and sometimes it's, it's a question that people don't even know exactly how to ask or what the question actually is, but why, why year after year, week after week, I'm coming to church, I'm trying to be good, trying to be a better person, but my inwardly life, life is remaining untransformed. Like I'm not, nothing is really changing. I'm striving really hard and I'm, working really hard and I'm doing all of the, the, the things that people tell me I should be doing or that I think I should be doing. I'm listening to all the podcasts. I'm reading all the books. I'm hanging. I'm going to church every Sunday, but just life is just not, life is not changing at all. So in order to help us to be clear about something, I want, uh, want to make sure that we're, we understand the terms that we're, we're using. One of the ways that we talk about the, the visible life of transformation, you know, when you, see, when you see someone in your life or when you yourself experience a, a significant transformation where once I was blind and now what? And now I can see or I was dead in my sin, Romans chapter 6, and now I am alive through faith in Jesus Christ, right? That, that there was there was a significant period in time of darkness in my life, but now it is unexplainably, or not unexplainably, but inexplicably so obvious that the light of God has transformed who I am. There has been a radical, radical transformation, and everyone can see it. That, there, that, 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 that transformation, that my transformation is not a secret to the world. It's very clear. It's very obvious. So one of the ways that we talk about the the visible life of transformation is, is we say things like that our lives are now displaying the fruit of a life that has been surrendered by God, surrendered to God, and therefore changed by him. I've been transformed, and now my my life, my life is, it, it, it displays the visible fruit of a decision to surrender my life to God, and he has changed me. But I want to be clear about something, um, because this, I believe, is, is one of the reasons that many of us do not often experience um, experience true 
transformation is that um, transformation, transformation in our lives is not primarily outward. Or at the very least, we could say, is that transformation in our lives does not start with the fruit. That transformation um, outwardly is a byproduct of the type of transformation that God normally starts with when he goes and grabs a hold of a person and begins to reorient the trajectory of their lives. See, because much of, much of what I'll call cultural Christianity sees or desires transformation in your life to simply be the modification of your poor behavior, right? We want to change the outside. We want to make you a nice guy. We want to make you a sweet girl. We want to spit and polish that image, right? But it lacks inward depth and substance to change. To use the language of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning, cultural Christianity is concerned about the branches of your life having shiny fruit, but is not at all concerned with the root that produces ultimately the fruit. And so when we pursue transformation in our lives, we have to understand that Jesus is primarily concerned about starting at the root of your life rather than starting at the fruit of your life. This is, in fact, the major problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is that they were primarily concerned with the what? The fruit of their life and ignored the work that God desired to do inwardly in them at the root of their life. In fact, if we read Matthew chapter 23, this is just a small little snippet of a whole tirade that Jesus goes on. But he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside. First, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So that even Jesus' concern in dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law is that there, that there, be, uh, that there be a focus on the inward life, the intimacy, the abiding connection between God and the individual so that what we see on the outside, the fruit, 
now becomes, uh, now becomes an honest reflection of the inner work that God is doing in my heart, the inner work that God is doing in our lives. I, um, I, di- I didn't, just by blind luck or God's providence, um, I stumbled upon um, this little snippet from a, uh, an author, a pastor. Many of you might recognize the name. Uh, his name is Paul Tripp. He, um, he writes on the spiritual life and on discipleship and about parenting and marriage and about life in Christ. And he uh, wrote these words. I stumbled upon them this week. It's an interesting little story. It kind of explain. It kind of illustrates the point. Let's say I have an apple tree in my backyard. Each year, its apples are dry, wrinkled, browned, and pulpy. And after several seasons, my wife says it doesn't make any sense to have this huge tree and never be able to eat any apples. Can't you do something about it? Call Vince, right? (laughs) One day, my wife looks out the window and sees me in the yard, and I'm carrying branch cutters, an industrial-grade staple gun, a ladder, and two bushels of very beautiful apples. I climb the ladder, cut off all the pulpy apples, and proceed to staple all the shiny red apples by their stems onto every single branch of the tree. Now, from a distance, our tree looks like it is full of a beautiful harvest. But if you were my wife, what would you be thinking of me at this moment? If a tree produces bad apples year after year after year, there is something drastically wrong with its system down to its very roots. I will not solve the problem by simply stapling new apples onto the branches. They also will rot because they are not attached to a life-giving root system. And next spring, I will have the same problem again. I will not see a new crop of healthy apples because my solution has not gone to the heart of the problem. If the tree's roots remain unchanged, it will never produce good apples. The point is that much of what we do to produce growth and change ourselves and in others is little more than simply fruit stapling on our lives. It attempts to exchange apples for apples without examining the heart and the root behind our behaviors. This is, of course, the very thing for which Christ criticized the Pharisees. Change that ignores the heart will seldom transform the life. For a while, it might seem like the real thing, but it will prove only to be temporary and Cosmetic. Transformation through life in Jesus Christ is not about simply modifying the outward behaviors so that we look to the whole world like we have shiny fruit stapled onto our branches. Transformation through life in Christ is about being honest enough with the Lord and honest enough 
with ourselves to say, Father, I surrender every part of who I am to you that you may fully examine what is inside of me, that you may root it out, that you might till up the soil, Lord, and that if it be your will, that you may cut off everything on the branches of my life that does not bear fruit so that I may bear fruit into the future. Now, the question here is like, okay, we're talking all about this root system of our lives, but is that to say that the fruit, that fruit is bad, that we don't want to pursue the bearing of fruit, the outward, the, the outward manifestation of a healthy inward and spiritual life? And, and the, question, the answer to that question is absolutely not. We absolutely do want to pursue the bearing of fruit. In fact, in our scripture that we're going to read this morning from John chapter 15, Jesus says um, that it is to the glory of the Father that we bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory, John 15 verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's to the glory of the Father that we bear fruit. And not just a little fruit, but much of it, a lot of it, that, that, that God desires for us to bear fruit. That God desires for us to display the fruit of a life that follows Jesus, that is a disciple of Jesus. Later in John chapter 15, Jesus says that he chose us and appointed us specifically to go and bear fruit. He says this in 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. What is fruit that lasts? Well, it's fruit that's connected to a life-giving source in the roots, right? Fruit that is stapled onto the tree does not last. Why? Because it's not connected to the source of life. It's not connected to the root system. But Jesus has chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit that lasts. So fruit is not only the evidence of our discipleship to Jesus. Fruit is not only something that we produce to the glory of the Father, but, but the Apostle Paul says that Fruit is the evidence of a life that is full of the Spirit of God. That fruit is, fruit is absolutely something that we should pursue because when fruit appears, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is within us. Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks to this. If you grew up in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s in youth group, like I did, you probably learned a song about the fruits of the Spirit. My wife is going to come up and sing it for us. <laughs> Small attempt, yeah. But uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, Paul says this. So I say... Live by the Spirit, 
Okay, so understand, li- listen to what Paul, all the things that Paul says leading up to his words about the fruit that comes from it, okay? So remember, fruit is, nev- fruit is always the byproduct. It's always the byproduct, all right? It's never the, go- it is maybe in a roundabout way the goal, but if you skip over, if you skip over the root, in order to get to the fruit, you'll never actually get to the fruit. Does that make sense? So listen to how Paul talks about how you get to the fruit because he essentially tells you how to deal with the root. And there's a lot of alliteration this morning, all right? Listen, verse 16 in Galatians chapter five. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Talking about the root, right? But, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, so Jesus tells us about the importance that he has appointed us to go and bear fruit to the glory of the Father, right? Um, we, uh, we know that Jesus, uh, that it's to the glory of the Father that we are to bear fruit, that he has appointed us to go and bear fruit that lasts. And the, the Apostle Paul here is saying that the, when you deal with the root And when you allow God, when you surrender to God and allow him to crucify the sinful nature that exists at the root of our lives, at the bottom of our soul, then it produces the fruit of a life that the Holy Spirit is full of. That in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives, we must first have the sinful nature within us crucified by God through Jesus Christ. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. It's what eliminates the sinful nature and what allows the Holy Spirit of God to now start at the root of our lives and produce a fruit that bears glory to the Father, as Jesus said in um, John chapter 15. 
So then the question then becomes, how do we pursue transformation in the roots so that the fruit is fruit that lasts from one season to the next? Listen, this is the whole, this is the whole point, okay? I said all that to say this right here. Every bit of transformation that you are seeking is found in your connection to the source of life who is Jesus Christ. Every bit of transformation that you are seeking is found in your connection to Jesus Christ who is the source of life. Jesus tells his disciples his followers, his apprentices, both then and now in John chapter 15, he says this. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That every bit of transformation that you are seeking every bit of transformation from your roots out into your fruit that is necessary for your life, that you are pursuing in your life, is, is in, inextricably connected to and, and comes from the source of life that is Jesus Christ. Meaning that if you seek transformation or fruit bearing in any other way, through any other means, through any other relationship, other than through your intimate connection with Jesus, you will be a branch that withers up and dies for lack of spiritual nourishment. There's going to be two main points, right, that we're going to move on with. And then I'm going to re we're going to read John chapter 15, 1 through 8. And there, it's, it's these two points, all right? Um, and we're going to come back to them. Number one is that pruning, pruning is a non-negotiable process of bearing fruit in your life. Pruning is a non-negotiable process of fruit bearing. If you want to bear fruit, you must be willing to be pruned. Okay? Number two. Jesus promises to remain connected to you if you desire to remain connected to him. Remain in me, Jesus says in John chapter 15. Hey, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing though. So we're going we're gonna to come back to both of those in just a moment. Let's go to John chapter 15 and read the first eight verses in John 15. These are all the words of Jesus here. He is um, speaking to or addressing his disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, let's look at a few things from this, um, from these past, from these verses. Number one, going back to our our point from just a few minutes ago, pruning is a non-negotiable process of fruit bearing. Do you want to bear fruit? Maybe another way of asking the question is: Do you want God to begin? a process of transformation through your relationship with Jesus Christ? And this is an important question, not one that you should answer lightly. Right? Sometimes we answer, we ask questions like that that seem rather rhetorical, but we don't stop to consider um, actually what our honest answer is in them. Do you want God to transform your life? Sometimes the answer is, um, well, can you give me a little bit more information about the process by which that transformation will occur, right? Because I'm all about this miraculous downloading of spiritual transformation that requires nothing of me other than Jesus just like, splashing down on me with his spirit, and then all of a sudden I'm walking away in victory of all the untransformed parts of my lives before. I'll take that every day of the week, yeah. Give me the transformation that requires no surrender of my life. Give me the transformation that requires no repentance. Give me the transformation that requires that nothing be cut off of me that is dead and producing no life. Give me a transformation that doesn't actually require that I transform. It only makes me feel different and have the circumstances of my life change. I don't want it to require anything, but I definitely want the fruit of the transformed life. And so the question of do you want God to transform your life is not just a rhetorical one, 
where we say, well, yeah, of course I do. It's one that requires an honest assessment of what you are willing to allow the Lord to press into your life so that you can experience the transformation that he desires for you. How willing are you to allow him to cut and chop at the branches of your life in order to cut away everything that is not producing fruit that lasts? This is an important question, one that we should not take lightly or gloss over because the the implications and the consequences of our answers, they matter. You see, one of the things that we're, we, we may have lost in, like the, um, in the distance between our culture, cultural context and Jesus' cultural context is the, um, is the, I will say, the relative violence that the act of pruning actually is. Now it might not be it might not be so out of your mind if you're an arborist like Vince is, or if you live out in Westfield and have grapes, or if you prune your own fruit trees to understand. Well, like pr- pruning, that sounds just kind of like a, oh yeah, I go out into my garden and I kind of you know prune a couple little little stems off my tomato plants, and it's really simple and it makes them look so much more clean and beautiful, and it doesn't really it's very easy and gentle, right? Pruning does seem like a very gentle word. But have you ever gone by, have you ever gone by, or have you ever gone driven through Westfield or Ripley or Silver Creek or even Fredonia after they have trimmed the, um, the grapevines at the end of the season in the middle of the winter? And what do they look like? Like, like? You might as well have just chopped them off at the ground. There is nothing left, right? And I, of course, I've driven by uh, driven by places where where pruning has been done on the or pruning has been done on a tree, and you look at it and you are like, "Tell me how life will ever come from that thing again." There's not a whole lot of great pictures to illustrate this, and if I would have thought ahead enough, I would have maybe had Vince come up and actually prune an apple tree on stage for us to show us what it's like. But there's a little bit of a little bit of a picture here of like what happens. You know, we have all of these like these water spout branches that are going straight to the straight up into the air, right? And pruning comes and chops off all of the branches that we know are going to take nourishment and life from the from the branches that actually will bear healthy fruit, but you're left with something that looks pretty ugly. doesn't look like much of a tree and you end up asking yourself the question, um, how long exactly am I going to have to wait until that thing produces fruit any longer? Because it looks pretty destitute. You see, there are other metaphors in scripture to describe the same type of work that pruning seeks to accomplish in our lives to get the same results. They're a little bit more, they, 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 they paint a really good picture for us. One is the, the, um, the image of or the words about refining, 
right? That our souls in, um, I think it's Isaiah chapter 48, are, are refined by what? Fire. And what does fire do in the refining process? It takes everything that is a part of that substance and it superheats it so that everything that is impure in that substance either melts away or can be drawn off the top and discarded. And so that what is left is the most pure form of the original substance. But the fire must be applied in extraordinary measure, so much so that the molecular substance even breaks down. Another similar, another similar metaphor in Scripture, we talked about this yesterday at men's breakfast, is from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, right? It's a very famous verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? And the process of sharpening seems like, oh yeah, sharpen. I just, it just makes the edge nice and sharp again. Well, the process of sharpening is actually the process of cutting material away. You take a file to a dull hatchet, and once you take it from a blunt instrument to a very sharp razor edge, what you see left on your workbench is a pile of metal shavings. Because in the act of sharpening, the sharpener has taken material off. It has stripped it away. It has cut away the thing that prevented it from being sharp. It is a process of loss so that it may be used in its original purpose. You see, the difficulty in this word for us this morning is that for so many of us, we have gone to great lengths to believe that the difficult circumstances, experiences, relationships, and seasons of our life can only be evidence that God has abandoned us and is punishing us. And so we look up to the sky and we shake our fists and we wring our hands wondering why God could be so horribly unfair to put us through hardship for no redeemable reason whatsoever. Now to be sure, we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again sometime. <clears throat> it's beyond the scope of our, what we're doing this morning. To be sure, though, not all difficult circumstances are created equal. Some, some things that we go through are consequences of our actions or others' actions around us. Some are consequences of the general sin and brokenness of the world. And still other difficult things that we go through are, are those that God has purposed for our temporary discomfort, but for our ultimate good. There are circumstances that are just consequences of our own action, for sure, right? There are circumstances that are, that, that are just consequences of the general sin and brokenness of our, of our world and of our lives. And then there are circumstances that we go through that God has purposed for our lives to cause us temporary discomfort for our ultimate and eternal good. We have to have a mindset and a perspective to understand that all of those exist and can exist at the same time and in tension with one another. 
They are not all one or the other. But to the untrained eye, to the perspective that sees all negative or horrible circumstances as God's punishment in our lives, pruning can look like utter destruction. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you destroying me like this? Why are you cutting all of this stuff away from my life? But listen, the expert gardener knows exactly what and how much to cut away in order to encourage new growth without killing the tree. And what Jesus says, and what Jesus says here is like, my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. And he knows with absolute precision what must be cut away from our lives so that fruit can be born into the future, so that transformation can happen. And he will not cut one leaf or one branch or one single, one, one, one centimeter of your life away that is not necessary for your ultimate good. He does not prune to punish. He prunes to produce fruit. Well, that will be very painful, though. Uh, correct. Correct. If someone, listen, I'll say it like this. If someone lied to you to tell you that the Christian life of following Jesus, the life of discipleship to Jesus is a life without pain and without sorrow and without hardship and is just 100% inexplicable joy and happiness from now until heaven, I am sorry. I am, I, truly, I am sorry that you have been lied to in that way. But listen, if Jesus, our Savior, did not if he did not escape the pain of hardship, neither will we. You're right, it will be painful to your flesh. It will be painful to have that pruning happen, but until the flesh is put to death, there can be no resurrection to new and transform life in Jesus. That's essentially what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that, that our sinful life must be crucified. Crucifixion is not just a spiritual term, right? It is a term of death. There are things that must be put to death in our lives if we desire to see transformation and fruit-bearing occur. A few questions maybe to guide our work in the next few days. Have you been curious enough with God to ask him what situations in your life are his pruning work, which he's meaning to produce increased fruit in your life? Because many of us just roll on in life just assuming that we know what, is what this situation is all about. What's going on? But have you, have you stopped, right? Have you stopped for a moment 
to inquire with the Lord, what is your purpose in this season, in this trial, in this experience, in this circumstance? Lord, are you meaning to prune something out of my life so that I may bear fruit into the future? Lord, is this a consequence of something, that of a decision or an action that I have made? Father, is there something that I need to repent of in this situation? Or Lord, is this just you refining and burning out the impurity of my life so that more fruit may grow? Lord, give me wisdom to see what it is you are doing in my life in this situation. It is such an obvious question that we, some, we most of the times we fail to ask it, right? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God is doing in my life. Have you considered possibly going before the throne of grace boldly and with confidence to request wisdom from the one who knows what he's doing? Or do we just look at every situation? Are we committed? How about this? Are we committed to just looking at every situation with the untrained eye of someone who simply says, God is just out to create pain in my life? Another question to ask, what is the thing, what are the things that in my life, sit up, this is an important one. Also, another, don't ask this rhetorically. You better mean it when you ask it because he's, he's um, he'd probably answer it, right? What are the things in my life that I'm holding on to, trying to breathe my own life into, but are obviously dead branches that have not yielded fruit in years and are not and that are not producing transformation through Jesus? And will I allow God to cut them out of my life? What are the things that I am just hold I am white knuckling onto? I am holding on to so, so tight, trying to be the source of light, life that produces fruit in these things. And God is just so desperately trying to let us, get us to take our hands off them so he can cut them out of our lives and produce fruit from their death. Will you allow God to cut them out of your life? Point number two, Jesus will remain connected to you if you remain connected to him. In verse four of John chapter 15, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Interesting here that Jesus does not say this in reverse, right? I will remain in you. I will remain in you. So remain in me. We must understand this dynamic and think carefully and clearly about it. Because the rest of the verse helps to bring clarity to this, right? Jesus says in 4, John 15, verse 4, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What's the implication here? The implication here is that Jesus will not force you to draw upon him as the source of your life and transformation. 
He tells you, he tells us, remain in me. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to the vine. If you remain connected to me, guess what? The source of, I am the source of life. You will never lack for anything. You will have everything that you need. You will never wither, right? You will produce fruit. Remain in me, and guess what? You can count on me to remain in you. Jesus' words here in uh, John 15, verse 4, his words here are an invitation to intimate connection and a promise to be the source of your life and transformation if you remain connected to him. But you have the freedom to choose. Most of us don't like that. Most of us wish that God would force that connection. Right? Because in sin, it takes the responsibility away from us to actually say, oh, wait, there is something required of me in this? You mean, God, you don't just serve me as my own personal life coach that makes everything better all of the time? That I am actually required to do some transformation of myself and remain in connected, intimate relationship with you? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, Cameron. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. We have the freedom to choose, and with the freedom to choose, we must make the intentional decision to be in relationship with Jesus. Because many of us believe that simply associating ourselves as Christians presupposes that over the course of time, we will naturally just kind of drift towards transformation, just drift towards fruit-bearing, just drift towards spiritual maturity. But the reality is, is that the opposite is actually true. Without intentionality, we naturally drift towards disease, not health. It takes intentional effort to be healthy. It takes intentional decision to be healthy. A tree does not drift into tremendous fruit bearing. It takes intentional decisions of the gardener to prune branches that do not bear fruit so that others may bear fruit in excess. And we know that this is true. We know that this, this intentional decision of intimate relationship is true in our human relationships, don't we? I mean, like, well, why do I have to make an intentional decision to if I want to have a close and intimate relationship with Jesus? That seems weird. Mike died. Can you still hear me? I won't be able to talk later, but. Second thing, how do we create intimate connection with the Lord? How do we create intimacy with the Lord? All right, we talked about the first one. Like, how, how, can I, how am I going to create intimate connection with my wife? Well, I'm going to block out that time. Well, well, what's the next thing? How about this? How about I'm going to take interest in the things that the Lord takes interest in? I, I am, I'm, going to, I'm going to transform my heart to love the things that the Lord loves and to detest the things that the Lord detests. 
in a similar fashion to how we would do it in intimate relationship here on the human, in the human plane, right? The horizontal sphere. If I don't take interest in the things that my wife takes interest in, if she doesn't take interest in the things that I take interest in, right? There is a, there is a connection and, and, a, um, and a familiarity to knowing that the things that I am passionate about, she is also passionate about. Now, how in the world, where do we get that from Scripture here? Well, look at what Jesus himself says in John chapter 15, starting at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen, how do we, what are the things that Jesus takes interest in and how do we cre- create intimate connection with him? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Right? The building of intimate connection and relationship with God through Jesus Christ is also about actually obeying his commands. All of these these things, again, back distilled down to the moment of personal choice and responsibility. Of saying, yes, Lord, the things that are important to you, I will make them important to me. I, I, will, I will love others in greater capacity. I will serve others in greater capacity. I will, I will seek and grant forgiveness. I will be more merciful and gentle. I will be generous with my life. I will obey your commands because that is the center of your heart and I want to make it the center of my heart. And as the center of the heart of Jesus becomes the center of the heart of Cameron, transformation begins to occur because I am no longer my own, but I am now him who lives in me. Can't Jesus just transform me and I live my life as I have been? The answer, unequivocally, without a doubt, 100 day, 100%, 365 days of the year, is no. Absolutely not. We cannot be transformed and remain untransformed. To love the Lord is to obey his commands. And it requires surrender. And it requires pruning. And it requires change. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes back up.
Heavenly Father, we pray that um, we pray, Lord, first that you would help us to see the things in our lives that we are holding on to, the dead branches that, that we've not allowed you to prune, but that, Lord, have produced no fruit for our transformation in Jesus, maybe ever. Lord, we pray that you would reveal to our hearts this morning the, 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 the things, maybe the relationships, maybe the habits, maybe the places, maybe the jobs, maybe the people that have become for us dead and withered branches that need pruning. Lord, and we pray that you would prune those things from our lives so that fruit that lasts may be produced. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be moved and transformed by the work of the Spirit. Father, make these moments, make this week, moments and a week like there has not been before, where we, maybe for the first time, experience transformation in a place in our lives where we have only experienced defeat. Lord, you, in Jesus Christ, are the source of our life. All other places that we have gone for life have left us um, in want. May the life of Jesus Christ, through faith in him and the power of the Holy Spirit, bring life into the branches that you desire to produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, you are king. We give you, Lord, highest praise, for you are worthy above all and over all. Brothers and sisters, go from this place knowing that you are chosen and the Lord has appointed you to bear fruit that lasts to the glory of the Father. Amen. Conduit, you are loved. Where's Larry? Larry Barmore. We're going to pray for Larry before he leaves. So if you can stick around and join us back there to pray for Larry. You can join us back there in two, three minutes. Uh, the rest of you, we will see you next week. <laughs>